0: All right, let's open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I've been waiting to get back into our study. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1. And of course, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to the power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, See that you abound in this grace also. If you take a notes this morning, you ought to make note of this grace also. Many of you might remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 when Paul exhorted the Corinthian church to set aside on the first day of the week an offering for the church back in Jerusalem, which was not doing so well. As you recall, when the church first began there in Jerusalem, they had given themselves over to the communal type living. They had, uh, we're not really told who came up with the idea, but they did it out of the sincerity of their heart. They, they, they sold everything they had, their properties, and, and they brought all that money and they laid it at the, the apostles' feet and told the apostles to distribute it as every man had need. They were sincere but it was a sincere mistake. Because what happened was eventually you run out of money. I remember Margaret Thatcher one time, and I've I've quoted this a million times, but I've always loved it. Margaret Thatcher said, socialism's great until you run out of other people's money. And that's what happened. They ran out. The problem was they still had rent. They still had to pay the bills. They still had to eat, if you will. And there was no money. So the Jerusalem church was extremely impoverished at this moment. So Paul had asked the Corinthians and and really all the churches in Macedonia up in northern Greece, we'll talk about that here in a minute, to take up an offering to send back to them. But there was a reason for it. Paul had been the apostle who the Lord chose to send to the Gentiles. In essence, he was using the Jerusalem Christians, these Jews who had been converted to Christianity, and their poverty as an opportunity to rebuild the wall that had been built by the Jewish church in Jerusalem against the gentiles many of the jews didn't believe for a moment that the jews or the gentiles could be saved they thought that they were you know they had to be jews first so they were going to have to go through the ritual of circumcision and all those things And Paul had went to great lengths to to try to tear down that understanding and to show them that the body of Christ was really one. He was using this circumstance in order to do that, to bring back into them some form of equality that would show the Jews in Jerusalem that, you know what, the Gentiles really are good. They're, They're just like us. You know, it's not in my notes, but I'll give it to you for free. Before the cross, there was Jew and Gentile. There was only two types of people. But after the cross, after Jesus came, my friends, then there was Jew, Gentile, and the church, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles. It's made up of everybody, you see. But in the early time, in the early beginnings of the church, in the first century church, they still, the Jews still had this mindset. Many of them, not all, but many of them still had this mindset that it was them and us, you know, and that the Gentiles had to become Jews first. So Paul saw it as a way that the gospel, you know, could be furthered at least among the Jews if he could bring back an offering. And he really did it because he felt like somehow the the Gentile churches had a, 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 they owed it to them, so to speak. Why? Because had the Jerusalem church not sent out apostles, the Gentile church would have never come to know Christ. And so Paul said it was kind of a debt that they owed. And so he was encouraging these guys to take up this offering. Here in chapter 8, we're going to see that Paul comes back to this issue about the offering that he wanted to take back to the church in Jerusalem. And so in contrast, the church in Corinth was actually a very wealthy church. These guys had money, and they weren't hurting at all. So Paul begins to encourage them here in the very first part to follow in the same example as these poor brethren up in Macedonia. Look at verse 1 again. He says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, or to take note, to take knowledge, it means, of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches in Macedonia. I think it's important that we understand when Paul's talking about giving, he says that God had bestowed grace upon these guys. Because giving, you know, there's an old, uh, an old adage that, you know, as far as tithing goes, tithing can be, we can debate that whether that's New Testament or not, what cannot be debated is that Christians are givers. They just are. You know, God, when we come into the grace of God and our gratitude compels us to want to show others the same grace. And so Paul talks about it in that way. He says this grace that God had bestowed upon them, this grace, how that in a great trial of affliction, there in verse two, the abundance of their joy, you know, regardless of the circumstance, right? They had joy. And their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. My first point. It doesn't matter about your, your situation, your condition. It's regardless of your condition. When Paul talked about the Macedonian churches, he was referring to a group of churches, as I mentioned before, that was in northern Greece. And this was a group of churches that made up the church of Thessalonica, Philippi, and the church in Berea. Very poor section of town, if you will. Uh, down south is a, a, a place that they uh, considered Acacia, uh, down south Greece. And it, that, that area was a little more substantial, had a little more money. But not northern. It's interesting, I think, the way that the Lord looks at poverty. Because today we hear that a lot, both secularly and even in the church, we hear it a lot. You know, the issue of poverty. I think it's interesting how God looks at it, though. And those who find themselves in it. You see, James, the half brother Jesus, spoke about it, and you can take notes. You don't have to turn there. It's in James 2, 2 uh, chapter 2, verse 5. And here's what he says He says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Regardless, my friends, of the financial condition, poverty is really just a state of mind. When you hear the word poverty, we often think of people who are totally destitute, have nothing. But in an American way of thinking, that just simply is never the fact. It's not the truth. Here recently, I was watching a a portion of the news, and they were showing the impoverished people uh, in Los Angeles where I grew up. And yet, they were lining up on the wall, and here they were all on their cell phones, you see. It's a little hard for me to say that that's impoverished when you can afford a cell phone. Seems a little crazy to me. So our standard of poverty, according to society, is a lot different than what God's is. It's really a state of mind. What Paul was talking about here is that the churches didn't have an abundance of wealth, but they were rich in faith. They didn't have an abundance of cash on hand, you see. But they were rich in faith. It's important to remember that God, who supplies our needs, said this in Psalms 37. He says, I've been young, and now I am old. I can relate to that. Maybe you can. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. What does that tell me? The psalmist said, God takes care of his own, he just does. Every one of us sitting here, if you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can attest to this fact. How many times have we been in those positions and those predicaments when maybe the cash flow wasn't as good as it should have been? Or maybe as good as you thought it should have been. And yet the Lord came right in at the right time, at the right moment, and there it was. It happens every time. Now He will take you, as some of you know, right to the brink. (laughs) He'll take you to the break. You know, I heard a guy say one time, you know, uh, of course, you know it's not true, that God will never test you beyond what you're able to bear. That is so unbiblical, it isn't even funny. The fact is, God will take you absolutely past what you're able to bear. Why? So that you learn to rely upon him. Because as the psalmist said, I've never seen a righteous forsaken. Never. Never means what, gang? Never. Nor his seed-baking bread. Think about this, this that, that psalm when we're thinking about the Macedonian Christians. As I said earlier, regardless of your financial condition, poverty is a state of mind. When I was a kid, some of you older ones, maybe you can relate to this. When I was a kid, growing up in Los Angeles, my mom and dad had six healthy young men. No, no girls in my family, all boys. My dad probably never made more than $5 an hour all of his life most of his life. So even according to anybody's standard of living, I guess we were poor. But I didn't know it. <laughs> I didn't know it. Matter of fact, you know, I, I had many friends who you know, had swimming pools. Uh, we, didn't ha- we, we weren't one of them. We didn't have a swimming pool, even though we lived in California everybody else. But I still didn't consider myself to be poor. Matter of fact, if you'd have told me that I was impoverished, I would have laughed at you. Because it wasn't my mindset. We just didn't think that way. We always had a clean house. My mother always did. I always laughed and said my mother was the type of woman who could take a a sow's ear and turn it into a silk purse. Because she could take the most dilapidated house because we lived in quite a few. Because we always rented. But my mother would go in with a little bit of paint and love. I remember one time my mother actually, we didn't even have a, a, a table. You know, a dining room table. So what did my mom do? She went and she got these bricks, these these cinder blocks. I'm not making this up. (laughs) And she got this big sheet of plywood, probably. I I was pretty young at the time, but I remember it like it was yesterday. And then by hand, she stitched this beautiful cover for it. And then she had went down to the store. And back then, they used to sell um, bananas in these baskets that were kind of, you know, uh, cone-shaped, but they had a flat bottom on them. Now you get, they come in boxes, but then they came in. And she asked for, you know, eight of those, because there were six boys, and two, you know, my mom and dad. And then she made cushions for those, and then she put the… And I thought they were… Like, as a kid, I thought, wow, that's awesome. So I never thought that we were poor, because we weren't. You know, did we have an abundance of wealth according to the world standard? No, and many Christians don't. But we had everything that we needed. And my mother, God bless her, you know, she's still, even now when I go to visit her, she's still concerned. How are you doing, you know? And my mother's just a great lady. And, 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 but she's always been there for me. And so it's that state of mind. I'm sure that there were plenty of people that lived around us that thought they were poor. We just weren't one of them, you know? And my dad worked very, very hard for everything that we did have. And I never understood it. So it's a state of mind. What causes someone who is poor in wealth, as far as the world sees it? What causes them to be rich in faith? One of the verses that jumps out at me to answer that is found actually in Acts 17.11. And he says, these, talking about the church in Berea, that was part of that northern Greece, that poor area. He says that the churches in Berea were much nobler than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with uh, readiness of mind. And search the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. You see, the reason that they were rich in faith was because these were people of the Word. Their, their, their faith was grounded and really founded on the Word of God. Because the Word of God is absolutely sure. We, we have a more sure word, Peter said, of prophecy. Where do we do well to take heed? We need to take heed to it. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. That's why it's so important. You know, Calvary Chapel has been established. We are going to be the the, the bearers of the Word of God. That's what we go by. You know, people say, what's your form of practice, the Bible? What's the Bible say? That's what we will go by, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It seems simple, but I'm telling you, today, people are walking away from that. They don't want to hear what the Word of God says, but I do, because it builds faith. God's accounting is interesting, You know, Paul said that their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. The Macedonian churches had undergone every sort of trouble that there was, and they had great need. Maybe as much need as the people they were getting ready to help. This is the interesting part of what we're reading today. And yet, because of their faith being founded and grounded on the Word of God, not only were they able, but they were willing to go above and beyond and to help those who needed help too. Macedonian churches were not victims of their condition. They didn't see themselves as impoverished. Thus, they were able and willing, as I said, to go beyond, above and beyond what was necessary in order to help others who were in need. God's looking more at the quality, if you will, than the quantity. Now, there's those of us who had the ability to give, and we do because of the gratitude of our heart, and that's great. But God, in reality, looks at the quality of the gift and not the quantity. You remember when Jesus was leaning up against the treasury and he was watching the Pharisees as they came, and the Pharisees would always sound a trumpet, and they would come and they would actually lift their offering above their head because they wanted everybody to see what they were throwing in. They wanted people to see how big the bag was, you know, so people would go, ooh, you know, golf clap. Wow, that's amazing. Jesus told his disciples, don't do that. Don't be like that. Because if you sound a trumpet before you give, he says, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. But then the story goes on there in the the Word, and it says that a, a, a widow came and she tossed in two mites, which by today's standard would be about a penny. And Jesus said that this lady had given more than them all because she gave out of her substance. She gave out of her great need. But she gave because of the gratitude of her heart. And Jesus said that she had actually given more than them all because she gave sacrificially. And so that's the way the Lord does his accounting. It's not the quality or the quantity, it's the quality. Paul was emphasizing this when he was talking about the way the Macedonian churches gave. They gave out of their deep poverty, he said, yet their lack abounded unto the riches of their liberality. And this brings me to my second point. Not only were they able to give regardless of their financial condition, but they gave in order to have koinonia, fellowship. I love fellowship. Oh, please let Calvary Chapel be a church of fellowship and koinonia. I love you guys. I mean, I am a people person. I always have been. We need to get together. You know what I'm saying? We're doing it now, but I'm talking about on a normal day, every day. We want to be a part of each other's lives, and not just a part of each other's lives that way, but in ministry. We get to do it. We don't have to do it. We get to do it. What a privilege it is for us to be able to do what it is that we're doing. You know, I think about the radio show and those who are listening to this, and will be listening to this via radio. Every time we get a letter in the mail and somebody says, man, your show has changed my life. I'm going, it wasn't me, brother. It's the Word of God. It wouldn't matter who the mouth is. As long as it's the Word of God, the Word of God changes lives. People grow. People come to Christ and people grow in their walk with the Lord. What a blessing it is. But these guys wanted to be a part of that, koinonia. That's what Paul said they wanted to do. They wanted to have fellowship in the giving. Look at verse 3. He says, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. They were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. And it's interesting. Take note of that there in verse 4. He said, with much entreaty, which Paul says they were begging him. They begged him to take this gift and to take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. When a man's faith or a woman's faith is founded... And grounded firmly in the Word of God, it's a privilege, as I said, to do ministry and to partner with somebody. You know, I thank God for those who have partnered with us over the years with, with, the, with the radio show and have simply come along without us asking, really. They just come alongside and they say, well, you know, how can we be a partner in that? How can we help out? And, of course, that accounts to their account also. That's why we want to do that for each other as we bring people to Christ. I think it's important that these guys, when you look at the churches of Macedonia, they were not being coerced into giving. Matter of fact, I actually love the way the ISV translates verse 3. And here's what they said. I can testify that by their own free will, they they have given to the utmost of their ability. Yes, even beyond their ability. The ERV adds this. No one told them to do this. It was their idea. I bet it was. I bet it was. Why? Because their faith was founded and grounded in the Word of God, regardless of their condition, regardless. They didn't see it. They weren't victims of their own circumstance. They were simply walking in the grace and in the faith of Jesus Christ, and that gave them the ability and the want to to help other people. They had a love of giving. Thus Paul says that they begged them, To receive it, it's obvious from the text that Paul probably saw their poverty. He saw their need, and when they came to him with this offering, I'm sure that Paul probably said, "Wait a minute, guys! I know you want to do this, but man, you know, can can you really afford to do that?" I'm sure Paul mentioned it, but he says that they begged him to take it. See, that's the important part because it's not like it's one rich church giving to another poor church. That's not the case. These guys were pretty much on the same status, but one was helping the other. You see what I'm saying? It's very amazing. But that's what happens when somebody is very mature in their walk. They were founded and grounded in the Word of God. The Macedonian church has desired to have fellowship with Paul's ministering to the, to the church there back in Jerusalem. Now, why? Well, because and this time I do want you to turn with me, if you will. Let's go to Galatians, and we're going to finish this up here pretty quickly. But I want you to see why this issue of sowing and reaping is so important that we understand it. This is in Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 7. And of course it says, and this is Paul, of course, writing to the Galatians. Be not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap for he that soweth to his flesh shall his flesh reap corruption but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting and let us not weary if you're taking notes make note of this let us not weary in well doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not as we have therefore opportunity I love this verse let us do good unto all men but especially those of the household of faith Let us do good unto all men, but especially those of the household of faith. The Macedonian churches, their giving was motivated by genuine love of fellowship and of coining. They just wanted to be a part of what Paul was doing. And because they wanted to do that, that kind of sowing, sowing to that type of a ministry produces an eternal, everlasting reward. However, philanthropy, on the other hand, which is what many churches are given to anymore. A lot of people are just given to philanthropy. They just want to feed the poor. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But so often they go to philanthropy without evangelism. And we're not winning people to Christ. That's why the church is suffering the way it is. We're not preaching the Word of God anymore. We're just helping the poor. And it's not done by faith. You know, the Bible tells us very clearly in Romans chapter you know, 16, is not of faith is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So everything that we do, we want to do it by the power of faith and by the, the faith that we're walking in. We just it has to be. So we don't want to do philanthropy for the sake of appearance because that breeds corruption. But giving, doing those things according to faith, produces an eternal act. Look at verse five. For this they did. Paul says, Not as we hoped. But first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in the diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. You see the admonition, he tells them because the the Macedonian poor churches were abounding in the grace of giving, Paul tells them, he tells this rich church, now, he says, you abound in that too. You know, abound in that grace. Third point. First things first. Paul said that the Macedonian churches went above and beyond. What Paul could have hoped, not according as I hoped, he said, but way beyond that. The question is why? Why? Paul gives us the answer in verse 5. They first gave their own selves to the Lord. That's why. You may think that that's a given, that that's a no-brainer. But boy, it's not. So often we can put the cart before the horse. Once again, that's what philanthropy looks like. And there's many people who in the name of Christ give themselves over to it. Matthew chapter 7, you don't have to turn there. I'll I'll just quote it for you. It says, Not everyone who saith unto me, Jesus said or anyone who says, Lord, Lord, we shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says, many will come in that day and say, Lord, didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name done many wonderful works. And he says, and I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. These were people who were doing a lot of things. They were casting out devils. I'm assuming they were charismatic. <laughs> or They were doing many wonderful works. Maybe they were reformed theologists. I don't know. But regardless of their theology, the reason why they were doing it was not anything that the Lord himself had to do with because he didn't know them. So they were basically just doing philanthropy. They were doing good works without faith. And that's a scary place to be. And there's so many people that are in that position today. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. The difference between those who are called, genuinely born again and filled with the Spirit of Christ is that they're known by Christ. I've said it a million times and I'll say it until the Lord calls me home. It's a very small thing that a person says, I know Jesus. But it's altogether eternally important that Jesus knows you. You know, we sang a song this morning, He Knows My Name. You know, there's a, there's a, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. I like the fact that Jesus knows me, this I love. You know, that's much better. We want the Lord. We have to make sure. That's why Paul says, make your calling and election sure, brethren. Make sure that Jesus knows your name. Make sure that what we are doing is not just simply out of what we think, that's what Christians do, but it's a genuine act of gratitude that we are doing those things in faith. The Corinthian church abounded in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all diligence, in their love for the apostles. Paul encouraged them to abound in this grace also. The grace of giving is what he's talking about. When the Macedonian churches gave themselves to the Lord before they gave themselves to the apostles in Jerusalem, they gave themselves for a time. They're their, their time, talent, and treasure. Because often that's what we, we're we not really understanding a lot of times what giving is. And giving encompasses everything. You know, it's our time, talent, and treasure. We give it of ourselves to the Lord. That's our admonition this morning, gang, that we are to do all that God has called us to do. Time, talent, and treasure. But we're going to do it in faith. We're going to do it according to the Word of God, and we're going to continue to reach out to those around us. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you so much for your Word. Lord, we thank you for Paul's admonition that we should walk in this grace. And we pray, Lord Father, that you would help each and every one of us to do this. We bless those, Lord Father, who are tuning in by radio. We pray that you would touch their hearts, that they would come to know their need for Jesus. And those who already do know, Lord Father, we pray that you would simply train them and raise them up in your word. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.